We're going to be looking, uh, studying the Word of God in Acts chapter 17. So if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, that would be great. The trajectory and the, and the uh, focus of what we're going to be considering today is, is that God wants his people to think. Christians should be thinkers. And sometimes we get a little lazy with that. And uh, we see here in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul and his colleagues are thinking, reasoning men, using the minds that God gave them. So we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 15, and then I'll have a word of prayer. And then we'll study the passage together. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Paul, but, excuse me, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Let me pray for us. Thank you so much, Father, for this place and this body of believers that meets and and uh, and these folks who love you, Lord. Thank you for Pastor Jared, his wife, his family, those who serve here, God. We pray uh, your blessings over Calvary Chapel, Walnut Creek, and we pray your blessings over them corporately, but also individually, Lord, and that this word today, God, would sink into our hearts and into our minds and stir us to response, Lord. I pray that we would not be passive listeners today, but we'd be active listeners and responders to what your word says, Lord. So we commit this time to you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So God wants us to think. Uh, it's the late Rabbi Zacharias who, who kind of paraphrased uh, Moses. Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go. Rabbi used to say, let my people think. Um, it seems as though for some of us, and I, I'm, not, I'm not blasting the body of Christ. I love the body of Christ. I love the church. 
I'm, I don't know you guys, so any negative examples I might give today, I'm not thinking ahead how I've been waiting to actually finally get to you and correct you in public or anything like that. So any, anything that I might say today is just a general observation. But we kind of have, in some ways, some of us in the body of Christ have become masters of cliches or bumper sticker theology or something like that. Um, th we say things that are true, to be sure, but sometimes that's about as far as we can take it. We've, we've lost the art, if you will, of debate. We've lost the art of being able to talk to people. And uh, the culture that we're living in now it has been uh, labeled cancel culture. Have you guys heard that, that term, cancel culture? If you, if you disagree with me, it means you hate me. I mean, that's just ridiculous to me that some people would allow their, their thinking to get to that place. But that's how many people are today. If you disagree with me, you're against me, you hate me, and I'm not going to talk to you, and we're, we're just separating, and that's it. And uh, it seems as though our... And we see it in politics, too, don't we? Especially in politics. So. Yelling, screaming, Twitter wars, all these things that we see. You know, the whole idea of debate, dialogue, talking things through, uh, it seems upon many people it kind of is a lost art. But we see here in Acts chapter 17, we see that this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing with these people. And some of them came to faith as a result. And so... I want to encourage you, um, if it seems like a big task to, to spend time dialoguing with people and getting to know people and, and uh, understanding people and listening to people and understanding what they believe and what they say and what they think and how they might disagree with you, I want to encourage you uh, to consider this passage today. Consider the outcome and the fruitfulness of Paul's efforts there uh, in, that, in this portion of the world because he was very fruitful as he did this. So that's kind of the, the warm-up. I'm trying to hopefully jog your thinking ahead of time. Let's look at some of these uh, verses here as we get into it. So it says um, in verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul, when he would come to a new town, he would find a Jewish synagogue, and he would open up the Old Testament, and he would begin to preach Christ from the Old Testament. Is that important for us today? And I want, I'd like to dialogue a little bit with you guys here today. We can kind of practice dialoguing if, you would, if we have any willing victims in the crowd here. So is it, do you guys think it's important today for any people group on the earth? Is there a people group on the earth uh, who, would be, who would benefit from us to being able to, to bring forth Jesus from the Old Testament? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Okay, what do you think? Jews, sure. People that don't believe in the New Testament, absolutely. So this is, thank you very much for, okay, we have a winner. Extra cookie, after extra donut after church, okay? That's exactly right, you know? That's what Paul, Paul found the common launching pad. He found a place where they would agree. They wouldn't agree, they wouldn't start the conversation by agreeing about Jesus or the New Testament or anything like that. And the New Testament was being written, so he couldn't even really, you know, turn to any New Testament passages, but it's such a great thing to be able to reason with Jewish people and others who may not recognize the New Testament, but do recognize the Old Testament, or maybe even just the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah, the law, to be able to reason with them. And that's what Paul did. He found a common, common starting place. He, he, he couldn't say, uh, were you there at the resurrection? No, they weren't there at the resurrection. Were you there at the Sermon on the Mount? No, they weren't there at the Sermon on the Mount. Were you there when Jesus was baptized by John? No, I wasn't there. 
Well, how far do we have to go back to find a common starting place? And Paul would do that. He would, he would go into the synagogues and he would reason with the Jews uh, from the Old Testament scriptures. A Bible commentator named Hughes, and I, and I want you to look at verse 2 again before I get to this quote. Then Paul, as his custom was, so this is what he did regularly, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. A commentator named Hughes says this about the word reason. Reasoned is the root word for our English word dialogue. So he went into the, he went into the um, synagogues and he dialogued, like we had a little dialogue going here. It was very, very brief, but I kind of enjoyed that. I, you went out to the edge of the limb. Thank you very much for that. He didn't just stand in front of them and, and preach. Now, there's a place just for standing up and preaching. I mean, when I, when I see guys maybe on the streets in San Francisco with the bullhorns, and you've seen guys like that, and they're just standing on a soapbox or something like that, and they're just kind of, in my mind, screaming at the top of their lungs, there is a place for that. It's not my style at all. I don't feel called to do that kind of thing. But who did that in the Bible? Who, did, who had that kind of ministry in the Bible? John the Baptist, exactly. So you can't discount that. Was John the Baptist's uh, ministry effective? Absolutely, it was effective. So there is a place for that. I've never been moved to, to go shopping for a bullhorn or anything like that. I'm much more of a sit down, coffee, and have a croissant, and let's have a, a dialogue. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. There was an exchange of questions and answers, but it was all from the Scriptures. He sat down and said, hey, can I read to you from Psalm 22? And he starts speaking about the crucifixion. And, and who's, who is, who's the psalmist talking about here? May I suggest to you that I believe he was talking about Jesus. Oh, I never thought about that. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah, because that psalm was written 750 years before crucifixion was even invented. So if you found somebody that didn't believe in Jesus, but they believed in the Psalms and they thought the Psalms was the word of God, you could say, have you ever considered that maybe God was asking us to look forward to this person named Jesus? Now a seed has been planted. It started from common ground. It started from the same starting place. And so Paul knew where to start with people. With Gentiles, however, he reasoned in a different way. And you can read about that. And I encourage you to, to go home this afternoon and read uh, chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. Completely different approach as he went around the marketplace. He saw the idols. He saw these different things. He saw an idol called uh, an idol to the unknown God. He went in and talked to the philosophers. He reasoned with them, and he started with, with, with what they believed in. He says, that unknown God, let me tell you about that unknown God. He didn't, he didn't say, what a stupid idea. What a foolish thing. You guys are idolaters. God hates idolatry. He didn't start there. He just said, this God that you think might be out there, I've actually met him, and I'd like to, to tell you about him. So he found a common starting place. Question for you guys. And I really do want to lovingly exhort and challenge you guys today. Let me ask you a question. How flexible, how capable are you to reason with different people in different ways? Different starting points, different approach. So you would reason differently with an atheist than you would with a theist. What do you and a theist have in, in common? A theist is somebody who believes that there's a God out there somewhere, but really doesn't know much about them, not sure who, he is, who they are. So what do, you, what, what do we as Christians have in common with a theist? Let's, okay, let's dialogue a little bit. Talk to me. Say it again. So 
That's a great starting point. Would you guys agree? That's a great starting point. An atheist, you couldn't use that as a starting point, so you have to go back further and find a starting point. So you would reason with an atheist differently than you would reason with a theist. You would reason differently with a Mormon than you would with a Buddhist. Mormons are kind of okay with Jesus, they just kind of redefine him. So I would think maybe Jesus would be the focused. 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 I just invented a new word, focused, with a T. Buddhism is kind of a, a hip, cool thing here on, on the West Coast. Do you guys know that there's two kinds of Buddhism? There's theistic Buddhism. They believe that Buddha was God. There's non-theistic Buddhism, which is more of a philosophy of life. Anybody know about non-theistic Buddhism here? Raise your hand. Anybody at all? Okay, what they want, they want to alleviate suffering. Raise your hand if you agree with that. Alleviate suffering. Not be caught up with materialism. Not get involved with things in the world that take away their peace. There's starting points. We could talk to that, we could talk to that non-theistic Buddhist because they kind of believe, if you read the Sermon on the Mount to a non-theistic Buddhist, they would agree with you. If, uh, love, your, love your neighbor as yourself. The Buddhist would say, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, don't get carried away by the, by the things of the world. Yeah, I agree with that. They're trying to escape all that stuff. So that would be your starting point with the Buddhist. With the Mormon, maybe you'd focus more on, on the person of Jesus Christ. So we need to find starting places where we can talk to people, but, and that means that we maybe need to research a little bit. We need to kind of think, think about some of these things. Now, I want to admit that sharing Jesus isn't always just an exercise in reason, because Jesus himself stood up in John 7, 37, said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's not an exercise in reason. That's just an invitation. That, that's just like somebody would have to say, hmm, am I spiritually thirsty? Yeah, I need to respond. And so Jesus wasn't inviting anybody into dialogue. So I'm not discounting that. But, I, but I, what I am saying is I think that a lot of us as believers have kind of lost maybe the ability or just don't think about having the ability to, to dialogue with people. So let's look at verse 3 here, chapter 17, verse 3 explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So Paul explained, the, uh, the old King James says, opening the scriptures. So it has this idea of opening up something that's never been opened before. And one of the commentators that I, that I read talked about a woman when she's giving birth. This is the first time that the birth canal has been opened. And I, I was blessed. We, my wife and I have three children. I was blessed to be able to be there. I've seen the intensity of that struggle. <laughs> it's just kind of intense. I'll just leave it at that. It's just intense. And I was thinking how, what an intense struggle it is for some people to have their minds open. They've lived their whole life thinking whatever they're thinking. And they've bought into it, and all their friends think this way, and their finances are used this way, and their lifestyle is spent this way, and they vote this way because they have this thing in their mind, and now you're introducing Jesus to them, and now there's starting to be some birth pangs, and they're, they're, just, and they're struggling. I'm going to use a silly example, if I may. When my wife was giving birth, I didn't start pushing on her stomach. I have appointments. I've got to get out of here. Come on. You know, there's a football game on. Let's get this thing done. You don't do that. You have to let the process take place. 
And here it says that Paul was explaining and demonstrating. He's opening the scriptures to people. What does that mean? Guys, we as Christians, you guys believe in the Great Commission, right? Make disciples of all nations. How many of you guys believe in that? Yeah? It takes some effort. That's my point. I think maybe sometimes it's easier for us to just throw a daily bread thing at them, which isn't a bad thing, or just you know, hand them a, a bookmark that has a scripture on it, and you think, mission accomplished. And Okay, you're planting some seeds, but you got to come back and water the seeds, don't you? You have to just kind of keep coming back. My point is this. We need to be very patient with people as we're reasoning with them about who Jesus is because their mind is opening up, and it's an intense struggle for some people. If they start believing us about Jesus... It's not just that their sins are going to be forgiven and that their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's also that they have a whole life to forsake now, right? Jesus talked about, you know, denying yourself, picking up your cross and following. They're, they're also having to think, what does this mean to my marriage? What does this mean to my friends? What does this mean to me at work now? I, I work in a very anti-Jesus environment. What is this going to mean? Am I going to lose my job? What are my friends going to say? Well, how are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I, I, I like Donald Trump? Are they going to think that I vote this way? I'm, you know, they're having to forsake a whole bunch of things as their minds are opening to the Scriptures. And Paul here, guys, was dialoguing with the people. He's reasoning with them. It's a process that he's doing with them. He explains the Scriptures to them. Verse 3, he's demonstrating the Scriptures to them. He's taking this, the Word of God, which he knew, and he's putting it on the table and saying, let's examine this thing together. Once again, I want to, want to refer to Psalm 22. It talks about crucifixion before crucifixion was ever invented. He would read Psalm 22. He would ask his, thinker to, or his listener to think about Psalm 22, and he would start demonstrating it. And he would find other places in the Scriptures where the Bible talks about uh, Jesus, the suffering uh, Messiah. He would be demonstrating. He would be connecting the dots. It says in verse 2, once again, if you'd look there with me, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. It means to mingle one thought with another. It means to discuss. It means to converse. Matthew Henry said this. Matthew Henry is a great old commentator, great old preacher, I think from the 1600s, 1500s. He said this, The preaching of the gospel should be both scriptural and rational. <clears throat> I like to read, I mean, I'm not a deep reader, but I, I like to pick up little things here and there and, and connect the dots. I've, I've read uh, the statistics on, uh, for instance, men that get divorced. The likelihood of them having a, a, a second, they, they say it's 50% divorce rate, whatever. They say the likelihood of having a successful uh, marriage the second time goes down to like 25 or 30%. And by the end of that man's life, when he's at retirement age, so many of his finances are now going to other places and he has to live in a very impoverished situation. The world's statistics tells you it's just better to stay married. Even if, even if it's just for finances, besides the emotional and psychological heartbreak and all those things, broken family, all those things, you can, you can talk to somebody and say, you know, God loves marriage. Well, what about this and that? And 
and say, well, you know, did, did you know that so, so-and-so did this study and, they, and men who get divorced and their finances? Have you ever seen that in the world? And somebody would say, yeah, you know, I have seen that. And I'm in that position. I'm on my third marriage now. And I'm paying child support here and there and alimony and these things. And I'm, I'm renting a room from guys that I hate. And my life is just a mess now. And, and you can say, you know, God loves marriage. You know, the Bible's true. You can reason with people. You have to be thinking about these things. You have to be paying attention to what's going on in the world. When we reason with people, we're not in competition with the Scripture, but we're using and explaining the Scripture and reasoning with people about the relevance of God's Word. Consider the... uh, the, um, I'm sorry, I'm doing my dance moves up here and the the microphone's popping away. I'm just kind of... I have a percussion percussionist in my back pocket. I'm trying to be silly. Consider, consider John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Jesus goes, he's in Samaria, you know, and, and what happens? He starts dialoguing with this woman. Can you give me a drink of water? He doesn't start off spiritually or anything. How, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? Well, if you knew who it was, and you, you guys know how the passage goes. He's just simply dialoguing, and he's allowing almost, if you will, the conversation to lead him to how he's going to kind of break through to this woman and she ends up getting saved. I met a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Jesus is just simply dialoguing. Jesus wasn't doing the bullhorn thing. He wasn't doing the John the Baptist thing. He was just a thirsty man who found a way to break into conversation with this woman who wasn't interested and thought she knew all about God. You Jews say you worship in Jerusalem. We here worship on Gerasim. You know, Jesus says, you know what, lady? Uh, basically, he says, in my paraphrase, you don't know what you're talking about. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. And he starts dialoguing, and she comes to faith. Jesus was one who enjoyed and practiced dialoguing. I, I pulled a quote uh, out of somewhere, and this is a quote regarding homosexuality and God's judgment. And this is from about 2004 or five when the topic was a little hotter back then. We've moved on to other topics now. But this is a, this is a person writing from a Christian viewpoint, <clears throat> and this is what they said. They said, It's disappointing to find Christians who do not know our God of love, the God who loved the world and sent His Son to save it. It seems that they worship the Bible and not God. Because some Christians would say that homosexuality is a sin. And so this person was saying, God is all about love. He sent his son in the world because for God so loved the world. Don't you get it? God is love. Okay, sure, I totally agree with God is love. John 3.16, absolutely. But John 3.19 says this is the condemnation. Men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. This is why the condemnation has come into the world. So what are they doing? They're quoting part of the scriptures. But if you know three, let's say somebody comes to you and they're saying God is love. John 3.16, go home and read it. Absolutely. But if you don't know your Bible, you might might get stuck. If you read three more verses, you see the other side of the coin. Yeah, God loves the world so much that he sent his son to save you from the wrath that you deserve. Now you're reasoning with people. And it just seems, once again, I think sometimes we lose that ability. When we share the gospel, it's incredibly important if I'm at, at the airport or at, the, at a concert, or there's a big uh, concert event in uh, Napa every year. It's called Bottle Rock. Have you guys heard of Bottle Rock? Uh, it's, it's our annual traffic jam. And, uh, 
And there's people that go out, there's Gideon's guys, Gideon Bible guys, and there's people that are handing out tracts and everything, and that's all fantastic, and, and that's good, and, and I'm sure God uses that. <clears throat> but that requires no long-term patience. You're, just, you're putting a seed in somebody's hand and praying that somebody else waters it. But let me ask you guys about the people that you, that you connect with in your world. It's going to take some patience with some of them. Paul reasoned multiple weeks with these people. I'm sure they were having meals together also during the week and that kind of thing. He's reasoning with people. And once again, if you stand on the corner and, and with a bullhorn and you're announcing the gospel, that's good. But there's also another way to, to share the gospel with people, and it requires love, it requires commitment, patience, and a very good working knowledge of the Bible and how to connect biblical truth. We need to be paying attention to the world that we live in. Um, I was talking to some young adults a few years ago, and you know, for a long time I was only listening to Christian radio because I'm a Christian. <laughs> and they really challenged me, you need to listen to this and you need to listen to that. So I started listening to uh, National Public Radio. You guys know NPR? Yeah. So it's like that's a whole different viewpoint, and they say a lot of things that I, that I disagree with, philosophically, spiritually, morally, a lot of things I disagree with. But I'm trying to listen with a critical ear so that I can know how some other people think that, that don't follow Jesus. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they said this and that and that. If I sat down with somebody at a cup, have a cup of coffee, and they say I believe that, I've already prepared in my mind, or I've already thought it through, well, wait a minute, this is what the Bible says about this, so if I ever have a chance to talk to somebody, I'll ask them, well, what do you think about this and this and this and the outcome of that, and then if we do this in, in three or four or five or six or seven years, how, what's that going to look like for our culture? What do you think about that? And many times they haven't thought down, they haven't thought that far down the road. They haven't predicted what the outcomes are going to be or anything like that. But guys, are you listening to the world around you with, with a critical ear? When I say critical ear, I'm not saying a judgmental ear. I'm saying with an analyzing ear. Are you, are you thinking about, if I run into somebody and they say this, it's not new to me. I've already thought about it. And if I ever get a chance, I think I'll have a few ideas and a few thoughts to share it with people. I'll be back. Um, oh, goodness sakes, what was I saying? Do you remember, Debbie? Okay. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> You might be thinking, I don't have time to know about Buddhism and uh, transgenderism and all of these different things in the world, and I can't turn myself into an apologist, and I can't have this encyclopedic knowledge of all these things so that I can answer whoever comes my way. I agree. We're living our lives. You know, We've raised three kids. We have eight grandkids now. We're, we're still busy. But let me just say this. Who are you most close to that doesn't know Jesus? That's your starting point. Sit down and, and say, you know, tell me what you think. Would you, would you be interested in having a conversation about the world? Tell me, tell me what you think about our, the, our, the purpose of humanity is. And just let them talk. And don't even answer them. And just see what makes them tick. And then think about it and go home and say, okay, next time I see them, maybe I'll talk about this. You know, 
there's, there's very few people that have the time and the ability and the giftedness to have that encyclopedic knowledge of all of these things. And I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is, who has God brought into your life that needs to hear about Jesus? And how can you best sit down and reason with them? The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We can always use the Word of God. But we see here that, that Paul was able to use the Word of God appropriately. You know, if I have a cavity... Uh, I'm okay if the dentist comes at me with a little needle to numb my tooth and then a drill. If he comes at me with a hammer, I'm thinking, okay, we need to talk about this. How are we approaching people? Are we approaching them appropriately? Are we approaching them? Are we finding the common starting point with them? And, and that doesn't happen by accident. A couple of years ago, I taught an apologetics class uh, down in Peru, and I... Uh, if you like taking notes, now's the time to take notes. There's a lady named Hilary Morgan Ferrer. You don't need to remember her name as much as this. She wrote a, a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. So it's, it's for moms with young kids. And it's written on that level. I bought it on that level because that's, that's a starting place for me. Mama Bear Apologetics, to teach your children how to think, how to be critical thinkers. Because many times... Our kids turn 18, and, and they're out of the church, and they haven't ha ever had the ability or the opportunity to have a healthy debate with anybody in the church because we're so afraid they're backsliding. They're unprepared to, to defend their faith or to have a healthy conversation. So I, I really recommend that book for everybody in the room, Mama Bear Apologetics. It'll help you to learn. It, do, it doesn't give you, like, 20 facts about the Jehovah's Witnesses or 20 facts about the Mormons and how to how to throw, you know, grenades at one another. It helps you to be a critical thinker. And my point is, this is exactly what Paul is doing. He's reasoning with people. Look at verse 3. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. It was inconceivable to the Jewish mind that they would reject their Messiah. They never thought they would reject their Messiah. But did they reject their Messiah? They absolutely did, because they were looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. They were looking for a political Messiah. It was inconceivable to them that he would suffer and die on a cross, but he did. Their own leaders uh, handed them over to the government of Rome, and Rome killed him. The cross was offensive to the Jews because of the Roman occupation. When, the Rome, when Rome occupied Israel in that time, they took away the ability for the Jews to have capital punishment. And so they would kill people on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 21. Now, I've, I've only been to Israel twice, but it was fascinating because apparently they used to crucify so many people Instead of building the uprights for the cross, they would just take an olive tree and kind of cut it down and leave it in the ground and put the crossbar on top of the cut-down olive tree. So when you say Jesus was hung on a cross, he was. When Jesus was hung on a cross, he was also hung on a tree. But my point is this. To the Jewish mind, they would say, we would never do that. We would never follow a man that was hung on a tree because it says in Deuteronomy chapter 21, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was cursed in regards to taking your sin. That's connecting the dots for the mind that says, I would never do that. Paul was able to connect the dots and shift the thinking of someone. But it takes time and it takes patience. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. Why, why is it to the, a stumbling block to the Jews? Because the Romans were the ones who crucified people and they hated Rome. So basically Paul, guys, you've got to capture this. Basically Paul is telling them, you guys made the biggest national mistake of your lives. You couldn't have made a worse mistake. And now he, has to, now he has to turn these people 180 degrees. And you know what? He does. Not because he's standing in a pulpit, you know, doing this to them, but because he's dialoguing with them. He's talking with them. He's showing them from their own word their error of their ways. And that takes patience. It takes love, too. I, I would suggest, guys, that if you're talking to people, just, just curious if I may, and this isn't, I hope this isn't an awkward question, how many of you are currently talking to an unbeliever kind of in an ongoing fashion about Jesus? Anybody? A couple of us. Okay, good. That's fantastic. If it's a duty, you're going to get tired of it. But if you really love the person, you're going to keep doing it because you just really love them. I would also say this. Put yourself, and this is kind of just extra credit for those who are looking for it. Put yourself, put yourself in the company of unbelievers. Okay, what, what are some of the hobbies that you guys like to do? Let's have three or four of you raise your hand. What are your hobbies? Golf. Okay. It's a great place. Walking 18 holes with guys who can't hit a ball into a little hole. <laughs> and you're out there having the peace that passes understanding. <laughs> great place to have an ongoing dialogue with someone. You can turn your hobbies into evangelistic missionary efforts. What's another, what's another hobby that you guys have? Yeah. Video games? That's, that's all satanic. I don't think it, no, teasing. No, you can, redeem, you can redeem that because you're talking to people, right? So is there ever some kind of coarse talking with some of the guys? Maybe some guys? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a big chat room thing going on. So you can stand out simply by the way that you present yourself. So let's do one more. What's another, what's another little hobby? Let's hear from one of the ladies. Doilies. No, I'm teasing. Come on, girls. What do you guys do? Going to coffee with a friend. That's a good hobby. There's ways to, you know, I, I think Napa bocce ball is a big thing. I don't, I've never, I don't, if I tripped on a bocce ball, I don't think I'd know what it is. But you can join a bocce ball league. And you're meeting every week with the same people, and they're not Christians, and you're a Christian, and you start to make friends, and they start to trust you a little bit. And then they start to open up to you a little bit. You can join a softball league. You can join a, a bowling league. You can, there's so many ways that we can make friends with unbelievers. And, and it's probably going to be some of those things because we're not just going to maybe naturally hang out with them, maybe, but if you can find that common way to interact with them and build relationships, and you've got to love them. And God loves them, don't you think? For God so loved the world. He loves the gamers. Even the gamers, he loves the gamers. Even the golfers, he loves the golfers. Jesus said, go make disciples, you know? We need to be doing that. And I know that we're busy. I totally get that. But we need to place ourselves somewhere. And, and at work even, you know, 
Uh, be that listening ear. Be the kindest employee. Be the most considerate person in the office or in the shop or something. You know, There's ways that we can build those relationships. A couple of things here. Paul reasoned from the Scriptures. Let me just read. Paul reasoned that the Messiah must suffer. Got that from Isaiah. The Messiah must die, Psalm 22. He would be raised from the dead, Psalm 16. For three Sabbaths in a row, Paul presented Jesus from the Old Testament. He explained, demonstrated, reasoned with them. He allowed them. He gave them time to think it through and reason within themselves. And then look at verse 6. When they did not find them, um, verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people but when he did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city. Apparently, church was meeting at Jason's house. And this, this, was, this was their um, accusation against them. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Paul and his companions were effective by talking to people and listening to people and letting them ask what we might consider dumb questions or even blasphemous questions. If somebody came to you and said, you know, I, I just can't follow Jesus. I think he was possessed by a demon. I mean, are you going to go, oh, okay, that's it. We can never talk again. Are you, are you kind of spiritually tough enough to just kind of go, well, there is a spiritual world. So do you think there's a spiritual world? Yeah, okay, I do too. Let's talk about that. Do you think there's good and evil? Yeah, let's talk about that. You got to take every opportunity and not have thin skin and be so offended, you know. Jesus sat down with tax collectors and sinners. I think we, we need to learn how to do that too. Not to the place where we stumble, not to the place where we are led into sin. We need to know our, our parameters. But I really want to encourage you guys to be those kinds of, of Christians. Verse 4, some people will accept the truth. Look at verse 4. Some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So some of the hardcore Hebrew Jews were persuaded, but more of the Greeks were persuaded. Why do you think that might be? Exactly. They weren't they weren't as they weren't as Jewish. They were converts from idolatry. Thanks for that answer. They were converts. So just notice those kinds of things. Paul should go, hmm, yeah, I probably should have expected that. The hardcore Jews, like I used to be, they're going to be a little more resistant, but these, these converts from, from Greek life, they're a little more open. He's kind of knowing his audience. He knows how to talk to people. So some, re, some accepted, others rejected the truth. Verse 5, they became envious. Verse 5, they attacked Jason's house. They, ups, they upset entire cities. Thessalonica, verses 5, 8, and 13. Guys, there was 200,000 people in Thessalonica. And these guys were so mad that they upset the whole city. So there's going to be pushback. You should expect that. And then look at verse 7. This is hilarious. Jason harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. So they're pretending to care about the government. They're pretending to care about Caesar when, in fact, they're just against Christ. Okay, what's my point in this whole thing? I'm glad you asked. Let my people think. Don't, 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 uh, don't just be a bumper sticker theologian. 
don't just be a cliche sharing Christian. And, and any 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 time we share the word of God, it's always good. And I'm not putting that down. But I do want to suggest that maybe God wants to take us a little deeper. Can you sit down with somebody and and just say, "Tell me your story," and just be listening for that moment where we can say, "Ah, we can start from there." Maybe they lost their parent when they were a child, and you lost your parent when you were a child. Oh. There's no temptation except that which is common to man. But with that temptation, there's a way of escape, God says. So you know their pain and they know your pain. That's your starting point. You can say, you know, I went through that too. Can I share with you my own story about how I got through that? that now that's your point of connection. But we need to be listening. We need to be patient. We need to be loving people. We need to be uh, remembering the Great Commission. So, Just some thoughts for us. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, uh, that you so loved the world that you sent your Son, if I may say this, the, the first and greatest missionary to redeem humanity. Lord, I pray that we would uh, remember that people reached out to us at some point in our lives, and they took time with us, and they were patient with us, and they reasoned with us, and they listened to sometimes our foolish responses, and they were patient and loving, and, uh, and you used them to bring us to you. Lord, I pray that we would have that same heart to be fishers of men and women, Lord. So, God, we commit our lives to you. We thank you, Jesus, so much that your blood is efficacious to pay for the sins of the whole world, Lord. I pray that we would look at humanity knowing that your heart yearns for people and uh, that we have been blessed and graced with salvation and now you want us to share that with others. So thank you, Father. Bless this church, God, to your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name.